if we fail to, your word says that even the rocks would cry out to bring praise to the one who is deserving of it, Lord. And I don't want those rocks crying out on my watch, so we're going to praise you tonight, Lord. And thank you for all your goodness, God, just all of your wisdom and the strength that you impart to your people. Lord, you make a way where there seems to be no way. God, you open doors that are unopenable by man and you shut the ones that you don't want us to walk through and you have all discernment and understanding and God we would be so utterly lost without you we thank you for your great wisdom and we thank you for your great love and we thank you for your compassion upon your people we love you Lord in Jesus name amen
Your mind. 
Nothing compares to this great love that while we were yet sinners in our sin, when we were still enemies, your enemies fighting against you on purpose, willfully, ignorantly, defiantly fighting against you, you died for us so that we could be made brand new and so that we could know your love and so we could know eternity with you. We owe you everything, Lord. More than a couple of songs could really ever express. We owe you everything. 
We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us all to come and meet here tonight uh, and just listen to your word and what, you have, what you've written for us. Um, just please speak through me and um, help any of the information that, uh, that comes up be of you and, and be useful in the, the daily lives of your servants. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I want to start with a quick review of chapter 11. Um, so the Israelites who decide to settle on the other side of the river end up needing help. Uh, Nahash and the Ammonites were attacking them at Jabesh Gilead. And God had previously told them where to settle, and they decided to ignore that. It's funny how things turn out when you ignore God's guidance. And uh, the Ammonites decide to allow them to reach out for help, thinking that they had no way out. And so the Israelites are given a week to have someone come to their aid, or they lose their right eyes and are bound to slavery. <laughs> it's a summary, all right? <laughs> God uses this opportunity to have Saul rise up, and um, Saul is delivered the message that the Israelites are under attack at Jabesh Gilead. The Holy Spirit comes on him. He gets really mad. And then Saul sends a message to all of the tribes to come fight. And not wanting their cattle to be slain, they oblige. All of Israel comes together, amassing 330,000 men, and they kill the majority of the Ammonites. A few are left alive, but they're split apart. And then Israel rallies around Saul. So God used it to bring the people together around Saul. And uh, they also, the Israelites decided that they wanted to kill those who were speaking against Saul initially. And then that brings us to chapter 12. So 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you. I am, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. So Samuel is addressing all of Israel to step down. He's handing over power to Saul. And so you've got to remember that at this time, Samuel had somewhat taken the leader as their role, at, at very least the spiritual leader. So he goes on to say, at the, I've kind of split up verse 2 here into two parts. So he goes on to say in the latter half of verse 2 into verse 3, I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. I'm going to pause here and split verse 3 again. Um, so Samuel says, here I am. And that's something that he's been saying since he was a child. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, he mistakes God calling for him as Eli and keeps going saying, here I am, you called me. And eventually, Eli realizes what's happening and tells Samuel to go 
lay down. If the Lord calls them again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I love that. That should be our mindset all the time. Um, I often... <laughs> don't take offense at this metaphor. I often, <laughs> I often look at my dogs as an example of how I should be with God. Um, not to say that we're dogs. But when I'm working all day in the office, where are the dogs? They're laying around my feet. When I go to use the restroom, where are the dogs in the restroom, making everything more awkward than it needs to be? But they just want to be around me, even if it's just to exist in the same space that I'm in. And I should be that way with God. That should be my desire. I should desire to speak, with him, to speak to him and listen to what he's saying all the time so that I'm so familiar with his voice that when he gives me a command, I can say, here I am, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. And I think there's a pattern with servants of the Lord saying, here I am, throughout the Bible. So I've compiled some instances of that and what happened as a result of them saying it. So in Genesis 22, uh, verse 1, when the Lord calls out to Abraham, he replies, here I am. And again, when the angel of the Lord calls out to him as he's about to sacrifice his son, he says, here I am. And that's in verse 11, the second part here. And so obviously we know the story. It's a type of Christ uh, sacrificing the son. Um, And then in Genesis 31, the angel of God spoke to Jacob in a dream, and he replies, here I am. Jacob goes on to leave Laban and begin the nation that would be named after him, Israel. Jacob again answers God's call in Genesis 46. At this time, he's referred to both as Israel and Jacob. Remember, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. God spoke to him in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, to which Jacob replied, here I am. And then God goes on to save the nation through Joseph when Jacob moves his entire family to Egypt to survive the famine. Then in Exodus 4, Moses hears God's call uh, to him from the burning bush, and he responds, here I am. God then uses Moses to bring the Jewish people out of Egypt. We all know that story. Um, The plagues and uh, hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And then in Isaiah 6, God is speaking among his counsel and says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? To which Isaiah replies, Here am I, send me. Here am I is different, but not really. It's the, <laughs> it's the same sentiment. Um, in Acts 9, God speaks to Ananias, his disciple at Damascus, in a vision. Ananias responds, Here am I, Lord. God then uses Ananias to heal Saul's blindness and baptize him. That Saul goes on to be renamed Paul. Paul also subsequently answers God's call to bear God's name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel in Acts 9, verse 15. So there's a pattern of men in the Bible accepting God's call simply by acknowledging him. Here I am. It's a simple statement, but it implies more. It implies, what would you have me do? A while back, I was having some trouble in my prayer life, and I had fallen into this pattern of prayer and found myself praying the same things at the same times of the day. And I'd even, like, sometimes I'd start prayer, and I'd be like, oh, thank you for this food, and be like, I'm not eating. Like, that is terrible. Um, and so it, was, it frustrated me. So I reached out to some of the people that I see in my life of having a lot of wisdom when it comes to Christ, and I ended up having a short conversation with Peter Garcia. 
Um, a lot of you know him, some of you don't. Uh, they moved up north. But I asked him how he prayed and why. And the main thing that I got out of the conversation was that he would ask God, what do you want me to do? And in prayer often. And there are a lot of different things that go into prayer, acknowledging God's attributes. He's all-powerful. He's just, graceful, loving. There's intercession, praying on someone else's behalf. There's praying for needs and desires that you have, as Rob touched on last week. Um, and then there's praying for God's will to be done. But after I talked to Peter, I realized that I'm Jesus' servant. That's what I'm claiming to be. And I did not regularly ask him what he wanted me to do. Peter had to get off the phone um, to cut wood or something. I don't really remember. Uh, but I, at the time, I turned my attention back to a study that I was watching. Again, I was just trying to find answers to this frustrating problem, and it was um, Chuck Messler. And the next words out of his mouth, so I unpause it, and he says, prayer is God's way of enlisting you in what he wants you to do. And I just think that's awesome. Since that conversation, I've started to ask God what he wants me to do more often, and I've seen some amazing things happen, um, and I would encourage you all to do the same. Sorry, I messed up the end there. Uh, prayer is God's way of enlisting you in what he is doing. Right. All right, going back to the end of verse 3. <laughs> Samuel says, Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. So Samuel is reminding them of what he's done in his term of leadership, or rather what he's not done. Um, how he's treated them at God's direction. In verse 5, he says, Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. So Samuel is found to be blameless in front of the people, having not wronged them. And Samuel calls out that the Lord is the witness. Saul, the anointed, is a witness, and they are as well. And from here, Samuel starts to remind them of what the Lord has done for them generations back. So he shifts from, okay, you know what I've done for you through God. Now let's look at what God's done for you. I would do a um, more in-depth review here uh, because we're about to go through a lot of the Old Testament, but I think Rob more than aptly covered that with his review last week. Um, and plus, Samuel is about to do a little bit of that, a little bit of that for me. So in verse 6, Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. So Samuel decides to try and reason with Israel to get them to follow the Lord. That's the ultimate goal. When he steps down, he wants to have them continue to follow God. So to preface what I'm about to say, I want to say that I don't think it was a mistake on his part to try. Um, pointing out all that God has done for them should 
logically motivate them to serve him. And based on reason, that should be the result. The problem is that it might not be a reasoning problem. It, it's a heart problem. Just like many people know now that reject Christ, it's not a logic problem. People can know and understand the gospel, know what Jesus did for them, and still reject him. Because it's a heart problem. In their heart, they want to maintain control of their own life. They want to still be able to choose to live their life in an evil way, a self-centered way. And the essence of being a Christian is giving your life over. You turn it over. You're bought at a price. So when you're saved, you relinquish control. It's, it's gone. Which means if you're a Christian, your life should, from that day forward, start to conform to Jesus' teachings. And if it doesn't, then how can you call him Lord? So now I'm going to do that cliche thing that everyone does where they give you the dictionary definition of a word. (laughs) So the meaning of Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence, or a master or ruler. So when you decide that Jesus is going to be your Lord, guess what? You are now ruled by Jesus. He is your master and your ruler. Um, So the point I'm trying to make, I think, is driven home by Jesus. Um, In Luke 6, verses 45 and 46, Jesus says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? It's a heart problem. And so your natural response to that might be, well, how do I start doing what Jesus wants to do if he isn't audibly telling me what to do? I'm not hearing the audible voice of God all day telling me what to do as I go about through my life. Not that serial or whatever. <laughs> well, guess what? You have this. Amen. Uh, my granddad had an acronym for the Bible, uh, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. In the New Testament, we're given 1,050 commands. So, um, I didn't count them. (laughs) I I looked that up, and if you look that up, the sentence under the number says, they cover every phase of a man's life and his relationship to God, his fellow men, now and hereafter. So, we always think of the Old Testament having a ton of laws to follow laid out by God to Israel, his people. Well, in the Old Testament, there are 613 commands. Again, I did not count. Um, So there are more commands in the New Testament than the Old. Jesus has laid out how you're supposed to live your life for you. It's not something that you've got to try and figure out day to day. It's something that he's laid out and that you have to apply. And if you turn your life over to him, I would expect that he expects you to follow his commands. So verse 8, when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor in the land of the Philistines, and into the hands of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. 
Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Asterisks. Quick note there is that Baals and Asterisks is really a way for him to saying that they were forsaking the Lord and serving pagan gods and goddesses. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Bedan, Japheth, and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. If you were with us during the judges' study, you'll recognize some of those names. And you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you. So Samuel points out that God did what they asked for. But guess what? Now you got what you asked for, and you're going to have to live with it. It's kind of like praying for patience. You're going to have to be more patient. (laughs) So Saul has been placed over them, and the Lord uh, has already uh, assisted Saul in the battle and just rallying the people. Verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now, not only you as a whole need to follow the Lord, guess what? Since you have a leader now, it's important that he also follows the Lord. Otherwise, they're going to go back to a time that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and we remember how that turned out. He's trying to push them not to relive their history of rebellion against the commandments of God. Now, therefore, stand, this is verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking a king for yourselves. So now they know that asking for a king in itself was evil in the sight of Yahweh. The, and here the timing of the wheat harvest is very important. The timing of rain can affect the equality of wheat. So not only can the thunder very well portray Yahweh's power, but at the same time, it could mess up their crops. And you know, when the thunder is so strong that it like shakes everything, if God's trying to make a point to them here, I, I assume it'd be some pretty serious thunder. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to be part of Israel's scared straight program. Continuing with verse 18. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. So there's something very important here in verse 19. When the people address Samuel, they ask him to pray for the servants to the Lord your God. Did you catch that? Your God. Not to spoil what's to come, but if the people aren't addressing the Lord as their God immediately after Samuel is trying to get them to listen to God, then I don't know when they will. 
apparently only in times of trouble. Whenever they're in dire need, they always seem to suddenly remember the Lord and reach out to him for help. Which is somewhat hardwired in people, I think. Even when non-believers are on their deathbed, they suddenly start to reach out to God. And we do the same, at least I'm guilty of doing that in the past, not that I've been on my deathbed, but where I get backed into a corner and put in a position that I don't have power. And then I start reaching out to God. And, and um, Pastor Daniel touched on this in the men's study on Sunday afternoon, but we need to make reaching out to God our initial response, the first response, not the last response when we've tried everything in our power. And um, Chuck Missler gives this great analogy that sometimes we look at prayer like we're pulling a string to alert someone to something. Um, so like, hey, God, you know, ring the bell every time. And so we think of that as like annoying. Like, oh, I'm just going to be irritating him. No, we want to be the person that's ringing it all the time. Um, pull the string all the time. God doesn't have a limited bandwidth. He wants us to reach out to him. Jesus said, pray without ceasing. Does that sound like he's saying that Yahweh's going to be annoyed at you? No. That he's going to be annoyed? Verse 20. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside. For then you would go after empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. I love this section. This is my favorite section. Do not fear. It doesn't matter what they've done up to that point. And that isn't what needs to be focused on. What needs to be focused on is the decisions that they make now and in the going forward. And that applies directly to us. We've all been wicked, but we don't have to fear because Jesus has already paid our price in full. We have to focus on not turning aside from serving him, not wasting our time on things that thieves can steal and moths can destroy. Or as Samuel says here, empty things which cannot profit or deliver. Psalms 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Our time here is short. And Michaela hates when I talk about this stuff, albeit most of the time I am doing it to bug her. But, <laughs> but we don't know when our time to go is. We have to focus on Christ and what his will is in our life now. And we have to pursue those things. Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure is not here. And it goes right back to the heart problem. Where's your heart? Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. So Samuel acknowledges here that it's a sin for him to not continue to pray for them. So those of you in a position of leadership, parents, teachers, managers, are you praying for those that you're the head over? If not, maybe you should be. Verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. 
For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So these two verses at the end of Samuel's farewell summarize everything he said. If you fear the Lord and serve him, look at what he's done for you in the past. He's pointed that out. He said, that'll continue. But if you do wickedly, you will be swept away. Again, look at what he's done in the past. You've acted wickedly, and look what happened. And at the heart of the message is something that Jesus, it's something that Jesus also wants from us. He wants us to turn away from wickedness and follow him. It's all throughout the Bible. Um, I'm not going to go over every reference for it, but I did compile a small list. So Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 12.9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Romans 12.21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Psalm 34, 13-14, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Speak peace and pursue it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14-22 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, Test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Luke 7, verses 20 through 23. And he said, What comes out of a man, what comes out of a man defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. I could have legitimately gone on and on and just sat here for another 30 minutes reading different verses about this. It's very, very clear that we are to turn from evil. Every day we have to make the decision to die to ourselves, allow Jesus and the commands that he has laid out before us to guide our lives and allow Jesus to change your heart and talk to him. Prayer is extremely important. Jesus, Yahweh, and God the, God the Father are one. Yet Jesus still prayed all the time when he was on earth and we should be doing the same. So with that, I'll open up to any questions or comments. This is very similar to when Moses did his farewell speech. He's remind, Moses reminded the people, hey, look at what all God took you through. And then Moses said, warning, and we, you know, even through Moses, God gave the warning about when, you're gonna, if, when you ask for a king. And all of that's going to come. So I see Samuel's farewell speech or ending speech very similar to Moses. Remember what God's done. Remember who you serve, and don't stray from it. Right. Because if you do, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, I mean, not to spoil the rest of 
Samuel, but it's the same thing that happened same the first pattern. time. Same, yeah, same pattern. It's like we're just on the next iteration of this pattern. Right. Same. Go ahead. I like it when you talk about uh, Christ out there all Lord, because I think about that's one of the things you say you want to be saved. Christ going to be your Lord and Savior. I think about so many people want to make Jesus their Savior, but not the Lord. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah, I really appreciated what you had to say about prayer, about asking God what He wants you to do. Like, I, I don't know if it's COVID or what, but I feel like every prayer I hear lately, it's just asking for more safety. Like, I'm just constantly hearing prayer, you know, and, and not that anything is inherently wrong with asking for safety, but it's almost like safety has become the demigod or something like we just need safety can we just have more safety so much so that recently i've been convicted of not asking for safety at all just assuming that whatever god wants from my life whether it involves safety or not involves safety it doesn't matter to me one way or the other because i'm dead here anyways i don't belong here anyways it's, right. this is i'm an alien here anyways that whatever his purpose is even if it doesn't include my safety is a good purpose and so i just really really liked how succinctly you put that into words that I'm the servant here it's not my job to tell him what he needs to give to me it's my job to ask him what he wants from me I like that a lot you know sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's a tough fight when battling when the spirit when, when you engage with the spirit you know we wake up in the mornings and hopefully we pray as so imperative I, I, that, that we ask ourselves the previous day to remind ourselves to pray in our wake because the spirit is in constant battle with the flesh no matter how old you, you are, if you're 60 years old, if you're 14 years old, your flesh is in constant battle with your spirit. And the spirit needs an easy way to squeeze past this battle. And by doing by prayer in the morning, my gosh, you save yourself so much time. By the way, a good tip that I've learned is to to say to yourself, I'm this, or I'm not going to allow myself to be fooled in this moment. Yesterday, yesterday my classmate made fun of me. I'm not going to let him do it to me again. And you say it to yourself, and you say it with, with authority, so you take control of your spirit, and your spirit takes more control of your body. Thus, your body will let your spirit know when it's getting weary and you can establish that connection with, uh, with your spirit and the body. And then, then working together, you have a machine that will, will get you through the day and get better as you get to go. God bless everybody. Thanks, Dad. And I'd suggest maybe asking God to strengthen your spirit. Amen. Ask for strength from Him. Don't try to rely on yourself.
he knows the end of the story. He knows where their hearts are. He knows where this thing's going to go. And yet, he warns them like a, a loving parent up front. He said, you just don't want to do that. You know? and, but at the same time, how much faithfulness that the Lord has and how much love does the Lord have that despite all that, he carries his people. You know? And he's, he patiently goes through this whole cycle with them. And he patiently shows them so much in it. So you, you see the astounding love of God, even in the negative, somewhat, things yeah. that are out there. It's that contrast always. And I think, um, just building off of what you were saying, when it made me think of when, when we make that decision to relinquish our life to Him, we know He has a track record. He's given it to us. So we know that, yeah, I'm, I'm giving my life over, but I'm giving my life to someone who knows everything and wants good for me. And it'll result better than what I can try and devise. Awesome. I'll close in prayer. Thank you again, Lord, for uh, bringing us here and getting us safe, uh, here safely. And I just pray that when we go back out into the world that we'll be able to um, bring some of the stuff that you've uh, spoken here tonight and apply it to our life. And uh, just thank you for all the, uh, the great things that you're doing in the congregation and just being able to see you work here. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Here, you want your chair back? No, I'm fine. <laughs> I'll just switch it up a little bit. You know, keep people guessing. Is she going to sit? Is she going to stand? What's she going to do today? Squat. Squat. Oh,
out of this place today, Lord, just emblazon that on our hearts, Lord, because truly what comes out of the mouth is what originated in the heart, Lord, and I I know, I, I don't know, I, I imagine everybody in here feels the same way. We want hearts of submission to you. We want hearts of servanthood for you. We want to be like waiting on your tables day and night, coming and bringing what you've sent for, and then you send us away for the next thing to bring, Lord, and and God, I just want to keep serving at the table day after day after day, Lord. And 
So God, just uh, transform us in that way, Lord. Thank you for that awesome teaching from your word. And Lord, and I just ask that it would not be head knowledge, that it would be heart knowledge and that that it would be transforming. And when we start to rise up and feel like we want to be in control, God, remind us we're just the servant. We love you, Lord. We thank you for letting us be your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.